Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by the one and only Craig Mish. Craig, how are you doing today, sir? Doing well. Good to be here. I'm very excited to have uh, Jeff Nelson on today's podcast. Nelly is a four-time World Series champion, and I think you guys will really enjoy this interview with him. He goes back and, and talks about all of his history with the Yankees, and uh, I threw players at him. I threw moments at him, as well as you know, diving into what happened with the Marlins this past season. So, look, there's a lot of Yankees and Marlins ties, Jeremy. Let's not be mistaken about it. You have Derek Jeter, arguably one of the greatest Yankees of all time, now owns the Marlins. You have Gary Denbo, who is now uh, you know vice president with the Marlins. You have Dan Greenlee. There's just so many ties there. So why not keep it going, I thought, and bring in Jeff Nelson, who won four titles with the Yankees. Yeah, and the, the pitching nerds like me are really going to enjoy this one especially. Uh, but the news of the week, uh, the event of, of Miami in the last week was the press conference officially signing Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr. or Victor Cito, as uh, Derek Jeter so eloquently called him during the press conference, uh, which I really enjoyed. Uh, finally, right? We finally got uh, this story done with. And, and <laughs> no more of the story, please. No more of this story, but, but exciting, an exciting day. A lot of media around uh, for the signing of Victor Victor Mesa. Uh, you know, Mark Anthony was there sitting right behind Mark yeah. Anthony, which was yeah, you got cool. a good seat. Yeah, good seat that, that worked Anthony. out pretty well. You guys are buddies now. Oh, yeah, no, Mark Anthony's my, uh, that's actually You're, you're a singer. People friend. don't know Jeremy's a singer also. So oh, if you yeah. go to YouTube, you can see his, uh, his tunes there. Yeah, you can they, see. Thanks Both for plugging it, but I'm not. Did, did I'm, you give him? Did you give him a link on the way out to your? Yeah, I just slid him a business card on the way out. I was there like, you hey, Mark, if if you need anything, uh, you know, you, but, what you should have done is you should have, if he has uh, an iPhone, what you should have done is airdrop him your. your, your oh, your, that would have been a great idea. That would have been like, funny, actually. Like airdrop to who, and then you see iPhone, Mark Anthony, boom, and then he looks at his phone. And he's like, "What do you mean? Who the is this?" Guy? The next time I'm standing in a room with Mark Anthony, which who knows, maybe do. that will happen. It again. could be he's going to be here forever now because he's got uh, two players on the Marlins. Well, and and I guess that that leads to the perfect uh, transition into saying finally we have him on the team uh, within the organization uh, big day for the Marlins and I'd just love to know what your overall impressions were of what Jeter and Hill had to say uh, Derek Jeter and Mike Hill had to say about Victor Victor Mesa how Victor Victor Mesa carried himself how Victor Mesa Jr. carried himself the whole day yeah I, I think that it's it's obviously a big win for for the Marlins there's no doubt that they needed a win of some kind, of some sort, based on the season that happened last year. This is all a work in progress, as everybody knows, but they had other teams vying for these two players that they were able to capture secure and make part of this organization. It's been said that this is kind of like adding a couple of first-round picks to your team. We really don't know what they're going to end up being. The investment was not egregious. For both players, it's about $6 million, and I think people seem to forget that this is money. If you don't use it, you lose it. So it's kind of like space that you're, you're kind of trading for. Uh, they would have paid Kyle Bearclaw $2.5, 3000000 next year. They saved that, which no one even talks about. Right. Uh, and, and now they use that money to, to have these two kids. Uh, Victor Victor is a very well-thought-of player who's going to start the season next year by participating in the Marlins Major League Baseball spring training. 
if he plays well, I think double A or triple A could be in his future, or they just may decide to put him uh, in single A for a month to get his feet under him. I'm not really sure. Uh, Victor Mesa Jr., very outgoing, maybe more so than his brother uh, on both Instagram and Twitter, and he seems like he'll be a pretty good follow uh, for, for mm-hmm. most people. In terms of talent, he's very, very young. So this is a three-year, I would say, project to see what they'll end up getting from him. Uh, you take these sort of risks in international signing. The Marlins have been well behind in that as opposed to some other teams. So, Jeremy, the bottom line is uh, all good things you have to say about this particular move that they made. Right. And uh, when you talk about social media, you actually asked the question that led to uh, Victor Victor shouting out all of Marlins Twitter for changing their uh, their first names on Twitter to be double just like his. It was a very boring press conference until they got <laughs> the right guy to ask the right question. That's yeah. that's what happens at these things. You that's know? the you type of hard hitting journalism we get Stir it uh, up. And that's 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 part of it. But yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. We really don't know what the outcome of this will be. But, but again, you know, sometimes even if it doesn't work out in the end, you need a win. You need something mm-hmm. positive. And, and, that, and this definitely was a very positive move to show uh, to everyone that the Marlins are interested in diving into the international market. This is going to take time. Fernando Seganol, who is now their international scouting director, these, these guys all have their work cut out for them. Remember, they are pre-existing relationships with a lot of young kids internationally. And the Marlins don't have those or haven't had those in the past. Now they will. Mm-hmm. And they have to cultivate, develop these young kids to get them to uh, Miami on the big league team. And they have really struggled to do that in the past. If Junior can play as well as he dresses, we're going to be in great shape. Okay. So that's, uh, a, good, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, now that these international signings are over, we head into the winter. You know, the World Series is wrapping up and, and there's more to get done for the Marlins uh, in the coming weeks. Hopefully find out about uh, the new logo that the Marlins will have, and we will find out, uh, you know, some of the changes that uh, some of the replacements in the coaching staff, some of the changes that will be made in the offseason. And Jeff Nelson, who you just mentioned before, joining joins us today to discuss some of those things, including what's going to happen here with the Marlins and some of his past with the New York Yankees. And thanks very much, Jeremy. There is a man highly qualified to talk about both the World Series and the Miami Marlins. And these days, that's not easy to do. Uh, It's really incredible when you think about it, that Jeff Nelson won four World Series championships. Like, think about that for a second. He has four rings that he won with the New York Yankees. He pitched in five World Series. And a quick Google search from Baseball Reference will tell you that his ERA in the World Series was under two. I mean, it is just an amazing career. And then a broadcasting career that I've said for many times this past year especially – when the games weren't all that exciting and there was a lot to be uh, critical of, especially in the second half of the season, I thought that uh, Jeff Nelson did one of the best jobs that I have seen anyone do in pre and post game uh, on Fox Sports Florida for the Miami Marlins. And we bring in Nelly here on Swings and Mishes. Uh, Nelly, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us here on the podcast. Really appreciate it. I mean, man, four World Series championships. I mean, I just, it's kind of hard to fathom in this day and age as we see the World Series play out and so many different teams win that you guys pulled four of those off. That's crazy. Oh, well, thanks for the uh, nice words in the beginning. But yeah, I, you know, that's, I, I think when I'm watched now, I, I think that's why I didn't want Houston to go to the World Series because you never want, you never want them to go and, and repeat 
and all of a sudden, oh, they're they're uh, if they win the World Series, the last time it was done was by the Yankees, and when I was there, you kind of still hold that a little bit, even with the Red Sox going through what they did this year in the hundred, what in eight wins. Uh, you're like, oh, they're, they're going to surpass the 2001 Mariners. Well, I was part of the 98 team with the Yankees when we won 114, and also the Mariners team when we won 116. I'm like, oh, please not. I don't care if you win the World Series, but please do not get 114 or 116 and all of a sudden become the best team in history. So you kind of pull and still want to hold on to those those memories a little bit. But, yeah, what an incredible run. What an incredible team or teams that we had. And then – of course, 03, the stinking Marlins that I have to look at all the pictures of every time I go into the stadium, uh, remind me of. So that still hurts just a little bit. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. And we're going to talk with Nelly about his days with the Yankees. And there's so much history there and so many players that I'm going to throw at him and ask him to give me 30 second comments on that. You, you guys probably don't even remember that he played with some of these guys. I didn't even remember it. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that, Nelly, because here in South Florida, as you know, and again, we are, you know, I am dating myself here a little bit, and so are you. It's funny that you mentioned the, the holding on to some of that history, because a lot of, of history publicly, players like yourself will never admit that, hey, look, I really like that record. I really want that record. The one record that we have here in South Florida that shines above all is that remember that Miami Dolphins team that in 1972 right. went undefeated and then everyone was kind of against them for so many years. Oh, these guys all get together and they pop the champagne as soon as the team loses. But personally, I don't see anything wrong with holding on to it's It's your record. It's something that you have forever. And, and certainly that, that win total that you mentioned there, I mean, those are things that no one could ever take away from you until they do. So why not just embrace it? No, I agree. You know, it's so funny that, you know, you look at the organization, you look at, I mean, I came from one in Seattle that's never been to the World Series, one of what, a couple teams that have never been to the World Series. And they, they put their selves around history as far as, oh, the 95 team, the first team in the wild card era, uh, you know, the first time that they went to the playoffs or, or the 2001, 116, they still hold on to that. Why not? I mean, this is history. You can't rewrite history. You can't erase it. You can only add to it. Uh, you know, if yes, I, I hope that nobody ever wins 114 or more or 116 or more. And you kind of want to hold on to that. But if they do, hey, what a great season they had. I mean, this is two years in a row. Last year with the Dodgers, there was a lot of talk about that when they were going through their great run. And then this year with the Red Sox. And you, you talk about the Dolphins. If somebody other, some other team uh, goes undefeated. Uh, yeah, you know what? That, that adds to what the Dolphins did. You can only add to history, and, and you look what the Marlins have done, the two world championships that they won in 03 and 97. Uh, that's just a part of Miami. That's, the, that's a part of the Marlins' history. Now you want to add to that. You don't want to erase it or not talk about it, and I understand that. You know, Derek Jeter, he's, he's the owner now and the CEO or one of the owners, uh, and he comes in, and he's reminded of the same thing I'm reminded of. I mean, he had such a passion to win, and every time he stepped between the lines, it was all about winning, and he said if you didn't win the World Series, it was a disappointing season. Well, that was how he was bred, and that's actually how everybody was bred and taught in the Yankee organization. Uh, so when you go there and you see these pictures of Pod Rodriguez or, or whatever celebrating in 03, yes, it stings. But at the same time, you know, this is part of Marlins history, and you would love to see that come back one day. Yeah, and, and, and I think that that's a very good point, Nelly, is that 
there's nothing wrong with with kind of sitting back on your couch and rooting against it. There's a just big difference about being egregious about it. And in those cases, obviously, that's when there's a difference there. When somebody comes out and says, oh, I, it would be the worst thing ever if somebody broke my record. Okay, well, at that point, you're, right. you're going a little bit over the top. But there's nothing wrong with embracing it. So, uh, Nelly, you mentioned the Marlins, and you've been front and center uh, watching these games all season long. I, you know, I've maintained what a phenomenal job that you've done with Craig Minervini and uh, Tommy Hutton and, and Gabby Sanchez and, and Jessica, you guys have, have really taken it to the next level. And for you personally, because I don't think that we have seen on a broadcast anyone deliver the pitching perspective that you do. And, and that in today's game, with so much changing with pitching, I think that's crucial. And, and you've been phenomenal with that. So, but at the same time, this is a very tough year on the field where it was a developmental year, mostly for players, Nelly, in the minors. And at the major league level, after we got past that trade deadline, which I thought the first three months of the season were relatively fun and new and fresh. But boy, that second half was really tough to watch. What, what was it like being a broadcaster doing those pre and post games, watching that season play out? Well, thank you. And, and it is tough. I mean, you've been around this organization for a long time, and this has only been my third year, but I always kept up on baseball and kept because of the radio and stuff I did. You had to keep up on every team. Uh, you know, yeah, it was tough to watch, but the thing that I take that's different this year than last, if we looked at last year in 2000, almost 2017, uh, they didn't have any pitching, you know, you looked at guys that try to come up from the minor leagues and try to step up. What do we have to look forward to? What do the Marlin fans or Marlin organization have to look up for, uh, look forward to? And it wasn't a whole lot. You're like, okay, you know, pitching wins. You, you know, you're looking at every single World Series or every single championship team. Yes, you can out – not too many times you're going to outslug the other team, but you're going to need pitching. I mean, you look at now, over the last few years, bullpens have been horrible. And what have they done? They've used starters to try – look at Houston Astros last year. Try to use, they had to use starters to get through some of the crucial innings. Uh, the Red Sox are doing the same thing with Porcello and Evaldi coming out of the bullpen and getting key outs because they really don't have that middle relief. Uh, you look at the Brewers trying to bullpen, you know, do a bullpen thing. That never works. Uh, but you look at this team this year, and, and I in 2018, I think you have a lot to look forward to because of some of the trades they have. I just look at their rotation, and the bullpen's another story. I think it's a mess down there. And But their starting rotation with Alcantara, you have Caleb Smith, you have Lopez, you have Urania. Uh, hopefully he stays around. They're, two, they're four quality guys, and just some of the guys they have in the minor leagues, uh, uh, like the Zach Gallon, uh, you know, they have, they have and, and Nider, they have guys to look forward to, or fans to look forward to these guys coming up and making the impact on the team. Uh, as far as the difficulties doing or calling or, or even describing what these guys are doing because you're going through such a really tough time or they were going such a tough time on the field, you know, you really, you can't, I played this game for a long time, so I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget how tough it is on the field. Uh, so you never, you never want to bury a guy, say, oh, this guy doesn't belong here. Or, you know what? He just doesn't earn his spot or he, he needs to spend more time in AAA. It's more in, hey, what did this guy not do well tonight? Uh, what kind of mistakes did he do well? You don't want to sugarcoat. Fans don't want to hear sugarcoating. I mean, they, you, anybody can co go on TV or go on the radio and sugarcoat and say, oh, you know what, this guy just had a tough night. Well, why did he have a tough night? Or why did he have a good night? What was what was working for him? What did you like uh, what, when you saw what he did on that, out, on that outing? 
And I was a guy, I was a reliever, you know, I, I wasn't a bonus baby. I was a 22nd round pick, and I spent a lot of time, seven and a half years in the minor leagues. And once I got there, I wanted to be a student of the game. I wanted to have the, uh, you know, know everything about whether it was a hitter, whether, okay, where the ball was supposed to go, uh, what play, uh, how am I supposed to get this guy out. So, And even as a broadcaster, I wanted to know every single aspect of the game, not just pitching, uh, so I could, you know, I guess articulate or describe that great or the best way I could to the fans. Uh, so, you know, yes, winning season's easy to describe or easy to broadcast. A winning season, you, you kind of want to make the fans say, okay, what did this guy do right? What did this guy do wrong? And describe the best way you could. The one thing that I don't think that people uh, understand or see that I have a, a chance to see is uh, your ability to do this constructively because I feel that sitting next to you for several games in the press box, the one thing that people don't know, which I will you know, take people behind the curtain, is that sitting next to Jeff Nelson, what you get is uh, kind of a play-by-play, especially with pitches in the bullpen. And the one thing that I admire most about you, Nelly, is you do that before it happens. Like, you are not a Monday morning quarterback where you say, oh, see, they should have done this. Oh, see, they should have done that. It is incredible to sit next to you, and what you basically do with anybody who's sitting around is you are saying, well, if, I, you know, if I'm in this situation, here's what I'm doing right now. And for better or for worse, that's kind of the way that I always have admired your work and your intuition with it, because a lot of times not only are you right, but you are trying to kind of get in the head of not just uh, the pitcher or the pitching coach or the manager – and I think that that's something, Nelly, that's really on tap next for the Marlins because they don't have a pitching coach. Uh, some of what happened in the second half of last year was bullpen related. And I wonder your perspective on what should be next for the Marlins before this actually happens and we sit back and look and say what was right, what was wrong. Uh, what, are, what should they be looking for in the next pitching coach? And what would you do if you were in Don Mattingly or Derek Jeter or Mike Hill's seat right now? <laughs> hire me i guess so, you know <laughs> I, mean, probably... I was waiting for that one that was the one yes we got it the... there, you, there you there you go you, you can do that and you, you know it's it cracks me thanks again for saying what you said but it, you know it cracks me because this is the third year and, and that i've seen the marlins and you, you know you've never i've been in mlb.com i've been on the radio with xm radio and i've done all these things and you just you, you basically talk about every team so you don't get into the nuts, nuts and bolts of just one team and i've been able to do that over the last three years and this year this past year especially because i, I did over 100 games and so you get to see a lot you get to see a lot of the repeat performances uh and, and like i said i played a long time seven and a half years in the minor leagues i had 15 years in the big leagues so you know, a lot of ways I had to be my own pitching coach. Yes, I had some good ones along the way to guide me and tell me what I what I needed to do. Uh, a lot of them were good psychologists, and that's another thing that you have to be really good at uh, because, you know, you have to know a guy's ups and downs. You have to know them personally. Not everybody is just the same. Not, you know, some guy's going to handle a game differently or handle pressure differently than the others, and you have to know that. And, and I played in the toughest city in, in New York. Uh, you know, I, I listen to broadcasters and the thing that, that I can, I, I back up, I guess, what I say because of what I did in my career. You know, I went to World Series, I won World Series, I was an all-star. I worked my butt off. I know what it takes to win. Uh, I know what it takes to uh, play a whole 162-game season, and that, that's just not it. I mean, you play 30 games in spring training, and then hopefully 
you go well deep into October and play to the end of October. So physically, I know how to get through that. Uh, and, you know, as a bullpen guy, you know, I have played for Lou Pinella and Joe Torrey. It wasn't one of those things that, oh, if you got up, you got in the game. I was up four or five times and, and exhausted by the time I got into the game half the time. But when I watch these pitchers and I watch the guys on the Marlins staff and I watch them make the same mistakes over and over again, whether it's mechanically, uh, I'm 6'6". You know, the biggest and hardest thing for a tall pitcher is to repeat their mechanics. So you really have to dial in there and you really have to know what am I doing wrong? Uh, and I would love, you know, I talked to a few guys like Brigham and I've talked to Lopez mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm saying, I, I sit there and talk to him like, Hey, you know, what you need to learn and it's tough for a young guy, but you need a pitching coach to be able to teach them that to be able to fix their selves, uh, go out and say, okay, if I'm throwing the ball up and away, what am I doing? Am I staying back over the rubber? If I'm, am I nice and balanced? Am I driving that ball down in the zone? Okay. If I throw three or four of them up in the zone, okay, maybe I'm not doing that. For instance, Kyle Bearclaw, his mechanics were all over the place. And, you know, his slider wasn't good. Well, am I keeping my front shoulder? It's, it's you know, for a lot of it, it's very easy fix. It's very easy when guys are doing uh, things that are uh, not throwing strikes. And there's always certain things for everyone. Even though everyone has a different windup and a different release point, there's always three or four things that everybody has to do the same thing in order to throw a strike as far as getting hitters analytics today is through the roof and I think it's great uh you know I would use it to my advantage I was also use it to try to prove wrong uh, as far as hey you know this pitcher he's he's, you know guys are hitting 280 off of his slider okay what are you just going to can that slider no why don't you make it better uh you know or oh this guy's hitting 150 off of your slider well, you have to be able to set up that slider in order for that guy to hit 150 off of it. Uh, you just can't keep throwing slider after slider because, you know what, maybe one and a half times that guy's going to get a base hit off of that. You have to set up that pitch. So I watch and I see guys and I, I'm watching how they get people out. Or, you know, to me, I've seen more 0-2 hits. Uh, I've seen more fastballs right down the middle of the plate with hitters that are really struggling, I, you know, for instance, uh, you know, I don't go on, but uh, Paul Goldschmidt, when the Marlins went out to Arizona, and that was one of the trips I was able to make. Paul Goldschmidt was hitting 190. This guy's not a 190 hitter. Heck, he's going to be into the MVP conversation uh, here soon. Uh, but when struggling hitters are like that, what are they looking for? They're looking for fastballs to hit early in the count. Well, you have to know that, and you have to prepare these guys for that. You also have to JT Real Muto, one of the best catchers in the in the baseball. You have to try to make him call it or get him to call a game a little bit better, or be more convicted about the signs he throws down. Move a little bit on the plate. I would get my catcher, and I would get whoever it is behind there. You got to help these guys out. Move, not just set your glove up on the outside part of the plate. Move your whole body, and even o two one two. Put it in the pitcher's mind that I've really got to get this slider out or I've really got to get this fastball on the outside part of the plate. Too many times they're missing, and it just drives me nuts. Uh, you know, I don't think they run enough. You know, I don't think that these guys are physically able to go deep into the game. Look at the starters, Mitch, that the, the, that, uh, the Marlins have. You yeah. have guys that are able to throw seven innings. I think the mentality is different now. Uh, why Why? Why don't you, I mean, you look at Sandy Alcantara who came in, he did an interview and he says, you know what, my objective is to go nine innings every single time. Well, that is, I would take 12 
Alcantara's attitude right there. That's what you want every starter to come into the park thinking. Not just, oh, you know what, I'm going to give seven. Because guess what? That seven innings becomes five, and that's what they've been doing. The nine innings becomes seven. Then you have a great quality start, and your bullpen's not burned out. So there's so many things that I would love to change uh, with these guys. They're so, and it's so much fun because there's just so much talent down there. Yeah. Uh, especially in their starting rotation. Yeah, and you're always coaching, man. Like people don't even they don't get to see that part of it where I'm sitting in the press box and I'm trying to like, you know, fix my fantasy team and then I get a tap on the shoulder and uh it's it's Delhi going, "Hey, hey, Craig. Hey, it's 3-1 right now. What he really needs to do is throw him a slider." I'm like, "What? I don't even know what you're talking about." I'm like half watching the game and like you're like coaching the yeah. game while it's happening and I and look uh, I, I think you'd be a great coach. I would miss you as a broadcaster. So that's that's kind of the dynamic that I have right now because I think inevitably, Nelly, you'll be a coach somewhere, somehow, some way, if it's not with the Marlins, with someone else because of your approach and, and understanding and coaching bullpen in Major League Baseball is the single most important element of any coach right now because this is the way that we're headed is managing and, um, and coaching a bullpen. I, I don't think there's there's any doubt about that. Um, okay, so let, let's kind of uh, move on here from the Marlins and, and get into a little bit of your playing days with the Yankees because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to see that you're on this podcast and they're going to want to dive in a little bit to your career there and, and certainly talk about some of your experiences there. So uh, you won four World Series. You played in five. You, you went back to New York a second time, but there's just so many stories along the way that I think that people would find fascinating. If you don't mind, I'd like to throw out a few names just in, okay. the, in the past of players that you played with that people would be surprised uh, about. And uh, give me like 30 seconds or 20 seconds kind of just on what comes to your mind when I mention this player that you played with, that Jeff Nelson played with on the Yankees. Uh, I want to start with Roger Clemens. That's the first one I want to start with. You played with uh, Roger Clemens. When I mention his name to you, Give me like 30 seconds on what you think about uh, Rocket. Well, it's tough to talk 30 seconds on anybody, but or me even to talk 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I, know. I had to preface it. We'll be here for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable teammate. Uh, you know, I, I used to watch him, and that was another thing that I used to do. I used to watch opposing pitchers and how they got him out. And, and a lot of them I became teammates with. Roger Clemens was one of them. Uh, his intimidating factor on the mound, what he did to intimidate the other lineup. It was he would pick out, he would pick out the best hitter, and he would drop them. I mean, he would basically throw inside, so not just move their feet. He would put them on their back, so their uniform on their back would be dirty. He would have the rest of the lineup because the rest of the lineup are saying, "Hey, if he's going to do it to the best hitter, I mean, you know what? I can't be digging in here." But I learned so much and. He, he was a guy, he's, when you play in New York, you, you, you know, you're, you have to be and expect to get booed because you're a home player. If you don't do the job on the field, you're going to get booed. Well, Roger Clemens never got booed in Toronto, never got booed in, in Boston. Well, he gets booed in New York. Uh, but he, was, he came to us and an unbelievable teammate. You were able to get on him because everything that he had, whether his socks, his glove. Uh, you name it, had rocket on it. So you just busted and busted his chops all the time about it. But as far as a teammate and wanting to teach you things and the work ethic that this guy had, incredible. I love being a teammate with him, and, and he's one of the all-time guys that uh, I love watching. Yeah, it's certainly so. I've, I've had a chance to catch up with him the last couple of years with the uh, Astros as he's been a special assistant there. 
okay, Nelly, um, the, uh, the next two names, and we'll go one, two here. People don't even remember how great these players were, and you caught them at the end of their career. I want to start off with Doc Gooden. You played with Doc Gooden. I mean, one of the greats yeah. in the game. Uh, ended up, you know, kind of middling around with his career in Cleveland and Tampa. But you played with him at a point where he kind of resurrected himself with the Yankees. What do you think about when I mentioned the name Doc Gooden? Again, a great teammate. You know, you look at what he went through in his career when he was with the Mets, uh, 19 years old and coming up and having unbelievable success in one of the toughest cities to have success. And look, I mean, he got wrapped up into it. There was no doubt. He got wrapped up into it, and it cost him probably – a Hall of Fame career. But when he came to us, yes, he didn't throw the 98, but as far as the competitiveness that he had on the mound, it was incredible. Uh, I, I think he, everybody knew who he was uh, when he came to us. Mr. Steinmeier was always one of those owners that took guys under their wings and wanted to give them a second chance and believed in players. And that was one that he believed in. And what a great teammate and what a great guy to go out and watch compete. Because, you know, when he threw that no-hitter against Seattle and I was there, uh, I think he maybe was throwing 90 to 91 miles an hour, but he had great stuff. And you look at the Seattle lineup. I mean, you had Griffey Buner, you had uh, Alex Rodriguez. I mean, these guys were incredible then, and he and he went through a no-no against them. Uh, uh, Daryl Strawberry, you played with as well. You can't mention Gooden without Strawberry. I, I know there's, there's been a sticky relationship between those two, uh, you know, certainly over the years. Uh, when you when you hear Daryl Strawberry's name, what comes to mind? Again, I again, both those guys I still see a lot in the winter or during the season because we do a lot of stuff in New York with the Yankees. But another great teammate, another guy that had unbelievable success, success in New York as a rookie, and, and it cost him. Uh, you, you know, and who knows what he would have become. This guy, uh, as far as a teammate, a great teammate, a great competitor, and, a t- and this guy, you know, he's probably maybe 6'5". He might be as tall as I am unbelievable amount of strength and this guy as far as hitting the ball and as far as he hit the ball oh my god this guy was fun to watch in batting practice but uh you know one of one of my all-time favorites as far as a teammate okay now we're going to go off the grid here a little bit uh this is a name that yankee fans will remember baseball fans maybe not so much millennials but uh at the time the biggest name when he was signed hideki arabu uh, you, you had a chance to play with him. I know he has since passed a very troubled uh, kind of career and life. When you hear Hideki Arabu's name, Nelly, what uh, comes to mind? Well, it's funny. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of Japanese and Asian players that come over here. They really build them up to be the next great, uh, you, know, you know, find. And he was, he, was, he was one of them. That There was T-shirts made of this guy. He's supposed to be the next Nolan Ryan. Uh, this guy throws 98 miles an hour with a – nasty split the best split that anybody's ever seen uh and he came over to us and it was it was maybe about 92 93 and the split was okay uh i played with a lot of the asian players and a lot of japanese players that have come over here and everyone's been they've been great uh you know they always want to know the language and me i wanted to know their language so we could communicate a little bit better and do such a great job with it uh but with Rabu, he was he distanced he distanced himself from the other team in a way. He always uh, had an interpreter, which all of them do, which is fine. Uh, but he really relied on his interpreter to communicate and kind of separated himself. And I think you know he he really struggled at times in the major leagues. And maybe because they're very proud, Japanese are very proud 
people and they really uh, as far as baseball take it you know uh, obviously really serious and if they don't do well or perform well I think they think they're letting people down or it's a, uh, a disappointment to to their country and maybe he was one of them that felt it he didn't have great success you know he got a little in trouble as far as uh, uh, drinking also some things in spring training as far as hustling and doing things our plane got held up one time because Mr. Steinberg had to have a talking to him and and uh, so, you know, it's disappointing in the way he went out. I'm really, really sad when I heard of his passing and how he passed. But uh, he was an interesting player. Uh, maybe not as, uh, I guess, outgoing or, or team-oriented as, uh, as everybody should have been. All right, uh, one more, Anelli, and then I want to get a little preview here on the uh, rest of the World Series. Uh, another pitcher, and again, in Yankees history, remember, there is Marlins CEO Derek Jeter. There's Bernie Williams. There's Jorge Posada. Those are all the, the easy names, uh, Tino. Everybody knows those guys. It's the guys that, uh, you know, that people don't really know about. Now, this is a name that is popular, Nelly, but in, uh, in terms of Yankees history, everyone will always remember uh, how amazing that uh, perfect game was for David Wells. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about when you hear David Wells' name, who is arguably one of the all-time characters of the Yankees? Yeah, you know what? It was uh, it was always interesting. Every time you came into the clubhouse, you never knew who was at his locker or uh, what. You know, I remember one time we were in Texas and he went and they had a big memorabilia place uh, shop in center field in Texas, and I think he bought Babe Ruth's hat uh, for like twenty five grand, and he was pitching that day. Well, he decided to wear it on the field, Babe Ruth's hat, a Yankee hat on the field when he pitched, and Mr. Steinmeier called down and uh, I guess relayed the message to Joe Torrey, says, have him take that hat off right now. Uh, but as far as, uh, again, a competitor, this he didn't throw, he wasn't overpowering, maybe 90, 91 miles an hour, 92 miles an hour. Uh, but what a bulldog on the mound. Uh, you know, he had change-up, breaking ball, always wanted the ball, always wanted to go deep in the game. Um, him and David Cohn were kind of kind of alike as far as uh, their personalities, and and it, it, he always made things interesting. Yes, he always butted heads with our manager and Joe Torre uh, because he wanted to do it his way, and Joe Torre had to reel him in and, and say, "Hey, you know what? This is the Yankee way, or whatever." Uh, but you know, you always have to have those kind of characters on your team. You always have to have those guys that kind of uh, you know make things interesting, or 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 at least at least loosen it up just a little bit. And he was one of them. You were a character too. What happened with Tory? You you got you didn't make the All Star team. There was there was an argument or something. What, were, <laughs> what happened there? Like that like took on a life. Oh, of it's funny because you know, like I said, I, I, I mean, I've always, I've stuck my foot in my mouth a few times in New York, and and you you have to learn because there's so many media members, and you know, you get bombarded with all kinds of questions, and then the next day you kind of regret some of the answers that you're given. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was 2000. It was very hard for a reliever to make the all-star team and I was having a great year and he was, uh, we won the world series in 99. So he was, he was our, uh, our, the all-star manager. And I, you know, then the coaches, it was different. Then a lot of the coaches would hand names into the manager as far as who they thought should make it. And, you know, I guess it leaked out to a couple of the reporters that most everyone in the American league uh, said, Hey, you know, I, I should be on the all-star team. I'm like, Oh, great. I, I would just love to make one. And I didn't make it. And I was a little disappointed, and they came up to me, so you're disappointed. I, I might have said, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not one of his guys or whatever. But, uh, you know, we, we have a great relationship, and it's funny because we still see each other today a lot, quite a bit. And 
and he goes, yeah, can you believe the media said we never got along? I know, you know, he's, he was a great manager, always got along with them. Uh, you always, you're, he's, he's not going to like what I do sometimes on the mound. And I've been in his office before and he's always questioned me, Hey, what were you thinking here? Uh, but as far as having your back and I've always busted and walked, gone through a wall for him uh, and always will. He was one of the, well, I only played for a couple managers. He was one of the best that I've ever had. We have a great relationship, you know, still of today. And then, you know, look at 2001, he, he goes and winds up picking me for the all-star team. Yep. Uh, you went to uh, last one on you and then World Series uh, Community College of Baltimore County. Like, what in the world is that, first of all? And second of well, all, it's funny because they ne- it's funny because I never did. I signed out of high school and I think I in- I went and uh, I never went to the community. I only played Legion ball at the community. It's uh, Catonsville community. Back then it was Catonsville Community College. And I never went. I never even enrolled and never did nothing. It's funny because even in the, I mean, look, I'm, I'm six, six, I'm not even six, eight. And they have me at six, eight. So it's funny. Some of the mistakes they make. Yeah. No, it's funny there. I saw that there. Harry, uh, Mel, <laughs> Mel Kiper went there, Harry Wendelstadt and Jeff Nelson. I'm like, wait a second. I didn't even know that, that existed. Um, okay. So I so used let, to hang out there when I was little. That was about as far as I got. That's as far as you're getting in there. Okay. Good. Good to know. We're, we're uh, removing myths from the internet from uh, Jeff Nelson's career. <laughs> okay. So uh, Deli, let's end on this. And, and certainly we uh, thank you so much for spending time with us here uh, on, uh, on the podcast for sure. Uh, okay, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna launch this Friday. It'll be Game Three of the World Series, and the Red Sox are up two to nothing. Nelly, we have been blessed as baseball fans to get Game Seven two years in a row in the World Series, which has been rare. You know how that usually goes. Usually these things are yeah. five or six. I gotta tell you, I, I I love the fact that these things can get down and dirty and go seven, but. Jeff, a 2-0 lead for the Red Sox now, and that means that L.A. has to win four of the next five to win this World Series. It seems to be a very uphill battle after what I've seen the first couple games. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, they're going to go with Porcello. I imagine the Red Sox in game three and Evaldi in game four. Uh, it really surprised me. You go back to last year with the Astros and the Dodgers in the World Series, and we bring up analytics, and I'm all for them. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to have, like to see both when you talk about manager, as far as the feel part and also the analytical part. And I think that's what AJ Hinch did last year, and he won. And I felt like Dave Roberts didn't do that and went by the book exactly the way it was supposed to be. You can't do that in the postseason. You can do that in the regular season, but the postseason is a different animal. I saw guys last year. Uh, hit the ball very well and have great postseasons, and they wound up getting pinch hit for or sat at certain times. And now I'm seeing it again this year. You have Cody Bellinger. It's really weird how, you know, I have two ALS, ALCS and NLCS MVPs, and they both hit 200. So I guess there wasn't a whole lot offensively to choose from. But you sit Cody Bellinger. Uh, you sit, you have what, close to 100 or over 100 home runs sitting on your bench because you had two lefties throw. Um, I, I don't get it. I know during the regular season, you may do that, but during the postseason, when you, it's all about, okay, rising at the moment, uh, being able to handle the pressures. You sat Cody Bellinger, Muncie. I can understand Jock Peterson because he's not a, uh, uh, you know, he strikes out quite a bit. Even the other guys do too, but I, I'd rather have Muncie and, and Bellinger in there and even Grandal behind the plate. I think he made a mistake. I think Dave Roberts made a mistake in that. Uh, and that we're not going to see that in a, with 
in the three and four because you're going to have righties go for Boston. But I agree with you. I think the Red Sox is probably not going to go seven. I think the Dodgers made a mistake in the first couple games as far as offensively. Uh, and you look at their starters, you, you know, Kershaw again, uh, you talk about his legacy. He did great in the NLCS, but he did not do well in the first game. And you had Ryu in game two did not do well. And David Price did an outstanding job in six innings. So he's kind of maybe put the demons behind him. So you got to like the Red Sox offensively. You don't seem to be able to hold them down. Nine out of 12 runs they've scored with two outs. Uh, that has to be stopped in the bullpen with the Dodgers. Matson has just been giving it up and uh, hasn't been consistent either. Yeah, I feel bad for Matson. He's one of, you know, I have lists of guys in baseball who are right. nice, are nice, and he happens to be uh, one of the nicest. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal guy, and it's really tough to see him struggle like that for sure. Uh, and you're right in terms of the analytics. Uh, even the analytics guys are saying the same thing. Those are the kind of things that can right. get you to the World Series, but when you get there, and, and the other managers pulling out your starting pitcher after three innings because there's one guy on base. I mean, that is stuff that has to be gut, and that is stuff that has to be feel. And, and, and that's the difference between uh, winning the World Series as opposed to just getting there. And, and I wonder how that dynamic will be fixed in in the next few games of this series. Uh, Nelly, listen, uh, we wish you the best of luck for sure. Hopefully we have you back as a broadcaster next year for my purposes because i like to know what the next pitch is going to be when the marlins are on i hope so as well but but (laughs) if not and you end up being a coach a pitching coach we will take that obviously and uh congratulations on a great season with fox sports florida and thanks so much for coming on uh swings and missions really appreciate it thanks miss thanks for having me We're almost halfway done with this football season, and what a great time it would be right now for those of you who bet on sports to make the right decision, which is go to betdsi.com. Remember, if you use the promo code SWINGS101 and you like to bet on sports, college football bowl season is around the corner, and of course the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl, and guess what else starts up soon? College basketball as well. The NBA is underway. BetDSI.com has it all for you, and they're going to match your deposit up to $2,500 when you use the promo code SWINGS101. That's S-W-I-N-G-S 101. Make sure you type it in right to get that promo. It's BetDSI.com. You can bet on anything you want. The odds are there. The opportunity is there for you to make money. All you have to do is sign up today. That's BetDSI.com. All right, great stuff uh, from Jeff Nelson joining us. Uh, thanks so much to Jeff for, for taking the time to speak with us and break down some of those names that, man, some of those guys he played with that I just honestly forgot were part of the Yankees organization to begin with, let alone that Jeff had an opportunity to play with them. With them. Um, your overall yeah, if we had more time, yeah, if we had more time, we could have done like Ruben Sierra and, oh. uh, and Alfonso Soriano. Soriano, and, man. And Luis Soho. I mean, he, he mm. played so long. People forget how good he was. And, and again, there's some you know, millennial types who they don't remember that the last dynasty in baseball was truly the Yankees. I thought the Astros would be on. I'm not even convinced that the Astros aren't the next dynasty. I think they just ran into some issues with Altuve being hurt and Correa being hurt. And, and, and so I, I still am a big fan of that organization. But that Yankees uh, dynasty where they just spent all the money, 96, 97, 98, mm-hmm. 99. They didn't get to the World Series in 97, but 96, 98, 99, 2000, uh, 2001, they went back. They lost. Uh, 2003, they lost to them. I mean, the, even though you don't win the World Series, getting there so many times, six times in eight years, 
was was really incredible. And I thought Nelly had some great thoughts on that. Uh, personally, for me, I'd love to see him more involved somehow in the right. organization in some way, whether it is as a coach or even as a broadcaster. I don't know how you would do that, but I personally would. I, I, I have done this for a long time, and I, and I don't know anyone that has better insight when it comes to pitching. I mean, really. And, and again, the one thing that I want to stress about that is that this is not somebody that is after a guy gives up a home run like me goes, right. I told you, they should have taken him out. He is calling these things before they happen. And being quick on your feet and calling pitches is a big part of it. So I don't know. Is he going to be a coach? Is he going to be a more the same broadcaster more? I, I really don't know. I don't have any insight in that, but I do appreciate him coming on. Yeah, I was able to sit next to Jeff just once uh, during the season in the press box and, and was fortunate enough to share some of those conversations you're talking about. And it was one of my greatest joys of covering the Marlins this season was getting the chance to sit next to him and break down the game from a pitching perspective the entire game and, and having him turn to Craig Minervini and saying, you know, they should probably have somebody warming up for this or that or whatever. And, and being able to predict pitches before they happen and know yeah. that if there were mechanical issues going on, I remember, and I'm not going to say which pitcher, but there was a pitcher that was in and he was able to point out specifically, this is the mechanical issue that's happening. Here's why his slider or his curveball is not going to break. And the next pitch home run. It was remarkable. So, so Jeff is, is very sharp guys yeah. with, who is just sort of a pitching savant. And it's, it's um, like you said, it would be great to see him be able to have yeah. that impact within the organization. Yeah. Um, and, and again, for anybody like Jeff or anyone else, uh, you know, Cliff Floyd, who was on the, uh, the flagship network earlier this week, everyone knows how close I am with him. Uh, you know, Cliff has had uh, opportunities throughout his post playing career to coach right. uh, also to be a broadcaster. Inevitably he's chosen broadcaster time and time again because there is no pressure on being a broadcaster you're just talking and I think that's eventually what Nelly will have to decide whether it's with the Marlins or someone else because once you do take on that role uh, all eyes are on you like they were on uh, on Juan Nieves but uh, you know Jeremy coming up on swings and misses uh, over the next few weeks we'll uh, continue to dive in on some of the Marlins issues and what's going on we do have some good guests planned for you and then obviously what we'll head toward in November and December, and I want to let people know who are listening to this podcast about the winter meetings and everything that's going to go on. The key story for the Marlins at this point is the future of JT Ramuto with the team. And rest assured, I will be uh, front and center and be all over this from this point all the way through the time that he is either signed, traded, or returns to the team. So that's what you can expect out of me. That's what I'll be working on heavily. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Swings and Mishes. And, and almost more importantly, follow Craig, because that's where you'll get most of your breaking news. And that's just at Craig Mish on Twitter. Craig, thank you so much for uh, doing another one of these today. We look forward to being back next week. Um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Swings and Mishes.